that that caused this country to begin to respond. And you watch and listen to what the media says. And you see the controversy of how they try to lay blame and place blame. And I thought how timely to have a clear voice. To have a word of focus and a true word of help and healing. I wish the entire country could hear the message you're about to hear today. That's how much I believe in it. That's how powerful it is. Kelly and I met the Tennyson some years ago, and they have just been such an influence in our walk with God and in our commitment to the Lord, his, his call on our lives and the family he's given us. You're going to hear from Martha Tennyson today, and then you're invited back tonight at 6 But I want to tell you, her husband is here, and he is a spiritual champion. He is one incredible man of God, and and I just wish you all had the time to be around him and meet him because you would leave with knowing you've been in the presence of a man of God. Would you welcome Brother Tennyson to this service today? It's such an honor to have you. We welcome you, and we honor you today for all that you are. Sister Tennyson is, is just knowledge set on fire. She is passionate, and I, I stand amazed at her energy to serve God, and I, I, I am challenged in every way. I, I told her, I said, Sister Tennyson, we go 9, 10, 30, and 12, and I says, these services, they turn around rather quickly. She said, I can turn around rather quickly. She did tell me, she goes, I didn't know you were going to have a revival all in one day. I could have stayed till Wednesday. We could have spread this out over the week. She said, this coming Sunday, she'll tell the church, I did a revival last Sunday, four services in a day. If anybody is able to to preach with anointing and clarity uh, on this schedule, it is her. Once you've heard her today, you're certainly going to want to be back tonight to hear her a message that God has put on our heart. Today, the story out of which the Lord has taught her so much and it has been used to bring hope and healing and challenge to tens of thousands. If you've heard it before, you're going to be challenged again. If you've never heard her, you're in for an impact of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we give glory to God for this day. And certainly we give glory to God for such a family that teaches us so much about what it means to trust God. Would you stand and give a great assembly welcome to Martha Tennyson. Bless you, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, church. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here this morning and feel the presence of the Lord. Amen. There's not anything like his presence and his power in our lives. Thank you, Pastor Ron and Sister Kelly. I love these two people and their family. You're blessed to have such a gift from God to the church. And I know that you appreciate them so very, very much. We love them, appreciate them. They're real people. I like real people. And I appreciate them for being real people. Amen. So happy to have my wonderful husband with me today. Raise your hand, Daddy. They'll know who you are. Man of my dreams. My dreams are big, but they're short. 
He said to me one day, I wished I was tall, dark, and handsome. I said, sweetheart, you're already handsome. Just stand on a chair and turn out the light. Amen? <laughs> I am 5'2 in height. My husband is 5'3 half. We went to trace our family tree and found out we didn't have one. It's just a stump. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God a limb has grown out of our stump. We have a son that's 6'1". If he gets out of line, we bite him on the kneecap, about as high as we can reach. Amen. <laughs> Folks, it's wonderful to worship God. When we're honest about God to God, that's called worship. When we're honest about God to believers, that's called a testimony. And when we're honest about God to unbelievers, that's called a witness. So this morning, we've been honest about God to God. Amen? Now I'm going to be honest about God to believers. And I'm going to give you a testimony this morning of what God can and will do. Before I do, let me tell you the funny story I ever heard happened in the state of Tennessee. I was doing a missionette retreat in the state of Tennessee. And the missionette director said to me, let me tell you what happened to my friend the other day at the mall said, my friend and another lady went to the mall shopping. And said, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, this other lady said to this woman's friend, I need to go start the evening meal, so I'm going to go on home. And she said, well, I need to pick up a few other things, so I'm going to continue shopping. She said, I thought, you know, I'm getting a little weak. So she went into the drugstore, bought her a candy bar and a Coke. And she bought her a Kit Kat candy bar. You know how Kit Kats are made in sections. She said, I went out into the mall to sit down there on the bench to eat my candy bar and drink my Coke. There was a gentleman sitting on the other end of the bench, and she said, I didn't say anything to him, and he didn't say anything to me. And said, uh, I broke off a section of that candy bar, and when I did, he did. He didn't say, my name's John Doe, I care, do you mind, I'm hungry, or whatsoever. She said, now that ran all over me, but I didn't say anything. She said, I broke off another section of that candy bar, and when I did, he did. And she said, when we finished the candy bar and I finished the Coke, I got up to go finish my shopping. She said, I came out of the store to go home, and standing against a pole there in the mall was that same gentleman with a donut on a napkin. She said, now that ran all over me that he would eat my candy bar and then buy a donut. She said, I walked over, leaned down, and took a bite out of his donut. <laughs> didn't say a word to him. Said he didn't respond in any way. He looked at me, looked back at the donut, looked at me, looked back at the donut. I went on to the parking lot to get my car to go home. Said I got in my purse to get out my car keys. And when I opened my purse, there was my candy bar. He already had his laying on the bench. And she said, there I had eaten that man's candy bar, taken a bite out of his donut. She said, I know when he got home that day, he said to his wife, I met the hungriest woman at the mall today. I tried to buy a candy bar, and she ate it. Tried to buy a donut, she took a bite out of it. She said, I prayed that he wouldn't show up in my church on Sunday morning and say, there's the hungry woman I met the other day at the mall. That's a true story. It didn't happen to me. It could have. <laughs> May the 14th, 1988, while pastoring at First Assembly of God in Radcliffe, Kentucky, 
we experienced a terrible, terrible tragedy. Our youth group was going to go on a trip they'd taken annually for nine previous years. They were going to a place in Ohio called Kings Island. My husband had always gone on this trip with them. My husband is a rides person. He likes to ride as high, as wild, and most of them he can get on because it says if you're this height, you can get on them. (laughs) He has a twin brother, and together they're six feet tall. (laughs) So he would go with young people, so they would ride, he would ride anything they wanted to ride. This particular day, my father was celebrating his 79th birthday. Our son was 15 years old at the time, so he was going to go on the trip with the youth group. But my husband said, I'm not going to go on the trip today because I want to celebrate Dad's birthday with the rest of the family. I have two brothers. They were coming from out of town to our home to celebrate our dad's birthday. We had awakened our son very early on Saturday morning, had breakfast with him. We prayed with him. My husband left, taking him to church to meet the bus. And he said, now, honey, I will stay and go with them if there's not enough chaperones going. But if there is, I'll return in about an hour, which he did. I said, how many people did you have on the bus? He said, I had 67 people. It was a 66-passenger bus, and the driver made 67. He said, I had prayer with them before they pulled out of the parking lot. I want to stop here and say something this morning, folks. Remember this, we're not saved from trouble, we're saved from sin. Sometimes we don't understand trouble. We prayed, but we had trouble. We're not saved from trouble, always pray. But we're still not saved from trouble, we're saved from sin. He had prayer with him, and he said uh, there was a young person in every window waving, goodbye, pastor, we'll see you this evening. My husband said many times, those precious faces that didn't make it back, he can... Remember seeing them in the window. We had a wonderful day with our family. About 9 o'clock that evening, my family had gone home. My husband went over to the church to have prayer time with the men. They always had prayer time at 9 o'clock on Saturday evening, preparing for Sunday services. He said, now I'll not come back, honey, until the bus gets in. Bring Alan home. We'll have to make but one trip. About 10.30 that Saturday evening, I walked into our son's room. Turned on his light, let down his bed, put his Pepsi beside of his bed. I don't want to, he has to get his own candy bar. I don't want to spoil him. Amen. As I walked through the door of our son's room, something spoke to my spirit, these words. You better hope that boy returns to this room this evening. And I thought, what a horrible thought. Standing in the doorway of our son's room, I said, God, I plead the blood of Jesus upon his life, thinking he was the only one involved. At 11 o'clock, I called my husband at church, and I said, Honey, hasn't the bus gotten in yet? And he said, No, I'm getting a little concerned. They were going to be in early so they could have plenty of rest, be in Sunday school and church in the morning. But he said, Possibly they got back to the bus late, maybe stopped at McDonald's. He said, But I'm sure they'll be arriving here soon. 12.10, May the 15th, Sunday morning. My husband called me, and he said, Honey, I need you here at the church. One of the fathers has just called and said, Pastor, this is Conrad Garcia. My son has just called me from Carroll County Hospital in Carrollton, Kentucky. 
our bus has been involved in a tragedy, and they're taking our children to six different hospitals. The first words out of my mouth were these, Honey, how about Alan? Everything we have is on that bus. Church, I was a pastor's wife, but I'm a mother first. Priorities we have to keep right in life. You see, in my life, number one, I'm a child of God. Number two, I'm a wife. Number three, I'm a mother. And number four, I'm a preacher. When I keep my priorities right, God blesses me. So I was a mother. My heart beats like a mother. I was concerned about everybody. But folks, my heart still beats like a mother. He said, I don't know anything, honey, about Alan. I just need you here at the church. I hung up the phone and I began to cry. And I said, God, I need your help. I don't know where my son is. I don't know if he's dead or alive. Undergoing surgery somewhere in the hospital, laying on the side of the highway, waiting for a helicopter to invade him back into the hospital. I don't know where he is. I need your help. I walked, quickly made my way to the church, walked into the auditorium. Some of the parents had already arrived to pick up their children. My husband explained to them what he knew. They were, some of them laying across the front on their faces at the altar, weeping, weeping. God spare our loved ones. Let me bring a truth to you here this morning, church. The folks that laid their faces on that carpet did not care what color the carpet was. I just want to bring a truth of how we can get bent out of shape over trivial things when there's things important in life that we can really be concerned about. My husband called the city police, the state police. They didn't know anything as of yet. Then he said, I'm going to call Carroll County Hospital. That's where the father said he was going. So he called Carroll County Hospital. The lady there answered. And she said, he had, my husband identified himself. And she said, Reverend, let me let you talk to the state police that's standing here. State police came on the line. And he said, sir, before I tell you anything, let me tell you this. Your son is okay. Alan Tennyson is standing here beside me. I met your son out on the highway. And I said to another state police that had arrived on the scene, I do not know who these people are. And said, your son heard me make the statement, came up to me and said, sir, I can tell you who we are. We're from First Assembly of God in Radcliffe, Kentucky. And he said, I said to your son, son, do you happen to know the name of your pastor? He said, yes, sir, I do. It's my dad, and I need to get a hold of my dad. And he said, son, you can't get a hold of your dad now. We cannot have hysterical parents on the side of this highway. And said, your son said to me, sir, if you talk to my father, would you please let him know that I'm okay? My mother and daddy need to turn their attention to the other folks that's coming in. So he said, Reverend, hear me. Your son is okay. I don't have any information for you as of yet, but I'll call you back as soon as I can get some information. So he called back in about an hour. And he said, Reverend, here's what I've got for you. How many people did you have on the bus? He said, 67. He said, here's what we've got it narrowed down to. You have 17 fatalities. My husband's face went white as a sheet. And he said, sir, do you mean dead? He said, yes, sir. That's what I'm telling you. How about my associate pastor? Would he have been driving the bus? Yes, he's a fatality. How about my youth pastor? Would he have been standing in the stairwell? Yes, he's a fatality. 
How about my youth choir director, a lady, Joy Williams? She's a fatality. He said, it looks like we have 17 young people and three adults. We wished had stopped there, but most of the bodies had melted together at the seventh seat. So when they started pulling off of each other, they found 10 other bodies they didn't realize they had. So we ended up with 24 young people and three staff members that we lost. 40 got off the bus, and of the 40 that got off, 13 of them were burned, many beyond recognition, and lived. My husband dropped the phone, put his face in his hands, and began to weep. Boys, I wished I'd never let you go. I'm so sorry I let you go. I picked up the phone, and I said to the state police, Sir, can you hold on just a minute until my husband can regain his composure? And he said, I will. When my husband was able to talk again, here's what we found out. A drunken driver going the wrong way on the interstate hit our church bus, right headlight to right headlight, driving the frame eight feet back under the bus, breaking the spring system that flew into the gas tank, puncturing the gas tank, and they'd fueled up about 40 minutes before the tragedy. And as the spring began to drag on the pavement, as our associate pastor was trying to get it off the highway, the spring began to drag on the pavement. The gasoline began to drip on the sparks created by the spring dragging on the pavement. And our bus became a burning inferno. Our son said before they left the parking lot, he had gotten up to sit behind the driver, a seat behind the driver. And he said he looked about eight seats back, he noticed a young lady seated alone, had just started attending our youth group. And he thought to himself, this is not a good testimony for Christians. She needs to be made feel a part of this group. He left his seat behind the driver, walked eight seats back, just sat by that young lady to make her feel a part of the group. The young man that took his seat behind the driver did not make it off of a burning church bus. Our son said most of them had gone to sleep after they'd fueled up. He said, I was asleep. And he said, the first noise I heard was a scream. He said, I jumped up, looked toward the front of the bus. The youth pastor was standing there in the stairwell. The flames had already engulfed him. And the youth pastor said, young people, get off as quickly as you can. I'm not going to make it. And he lifted both hands and said, I'm going home. Folks, you have to be saved to die that way. His last words were, I'm going home. The state medical examiner said to my husband, Reverend, all that was left of your youth pastor was from the chin up. We found the fire extinguisher pinned out of the fire extinguisher laying right there by his head, but he didn't have time to use it. Alan said, I tried to awaken the young lady seated next to me to bring her with me. And so when I stepped out into the aisle, a group of young people rushing down the aisle pushed him off the back of the bus. Forty of them got off. Forty young people, some on fire, cleared the bus in two minutes getting out. They would lay the injured along the highway waiting for the helicopters to medevac them to the hospital. Thirteen of the forty was burned. One young lady called her our son and said, Alan, come over here and tell me if I've got any skin left on my face. 
He said, I walked over, leaned down, and said, it's so dark I can't tell, but I'll pray for you. He said, Mom, I laid my hand upon her arm to pray for her. When I lifted my hand, the flesh to her bone came off in the palm of my hand. She was burned so badly. Siblings on that bus, naturally. And he said one sibling would get off. And when the other sibling would try to find the one that didn't get off, he said, Mom, when they realized their brother or sister didn't get off, he said, you could hear them screaming for a mile. He said, there's a sight and a sound that'll go to my grave with me. He said, it's the sound of 27 lifelong friends from inside of a burning bus crying, help us, please help us. Somebody come and help us. He said, Mom, you see the flames engulf the bus, and then it's silent. And he said, that's the worst silence you'll ever experience in all your life. You've got 27 friends that's gone. You see, we started pastoring that church when our son was five years old. He started in Sunday school, children's church, Royal Rangers, youth group, and went to school with that same group of young people. Lifelong friends. And he said, Mom, I can many times still see myself standing out on a hillside and hearing them cry. Two brothers on the bus, Josh and Aaron. Josh is 15. Aaron is 13. The only two children this mom and dad has. Aaron could have been the second one off. He was right there by the back door. But he thought, I've got a brother on here, and I cannot get off without my brother. So he crawled under the seats, over the seats, grabbed the hole of the metal on the back of the seat that just... Uh, roll the skin off of his palm of his hand. Found his brother. Uh, Josh was already on fire in the bus aisle. Aaron said, I reached down to pull him along the aisle with my right hand. The flames leaped up this arm and shoulder, burn off this ear. He said, I dropped him with my right hand. Reached with my left hand to pull him along. And the flames leaped up this arm and shoulder, burn off this ear, this side of his face and his nose. Said, I had him at the door. And said, Josh said to me, Aaron, I'm not going to make it. Please get off. Don't let mom and daddy lose both of us. Please, Aaron, go ahead and get off and leave me. And with that, Josh took his last breath. Josh did not make it off. They reached in and pulled Aaron out on fire. Aaron had to have 70 or 75% of his body was burned. He had to have 17 surgeries the first year to try to reconstruct his face. His mother and daddy said, Son, why did you stay on so long? And Aaron's answer, folks, is a spiritual implication. Here's what he said. He said, I had a cause. What is our cause today? He said, I could not look myself in a mirror and see a perfect face and think I didn't do all I could do to save my brother. But he said, now when I look in a mirror, I see a face I don't recognize. I say I received these scars trying to save my brother. What is Aaron telling us, folks? The cause was greater than the obstacle. That's what makes it a cause. If it's greater than the obstacle, it's a cause. And he said, I had a cause. 
the one of the worst things for me, and I'm sure my husband too, we had to call 24 sets of parents into the church office every 15 minutes, or into my husband's office every 15 minutes, and say, I'm sorry. Our bus has been involved in a tragedy, and call their son or daughter by name and say they went home to be with the Lord. We had to do that with three companions, the youth pastor's wife, the associate pastor's wife, and uh, Lee Williams' uh, Joy Williams' husband, our youth choir director, her husband. One set of parents we called in. I looked at their name. They would give us the name of the next one coming in. And I looked at the name, and I said, God, I can't do this. You see, this set of parents there had an only child, a boy. He was going to graduate from high school the following Friday. That Saturday afternoon, they had driven a new automobile up in the church parking lot for his graduation gift. Put a sign on the windshield, said, son, congratulations, we're proud of you. Love, mother and daddy. Now, we're going to have to call that mom and daddy in and tell them that Rick will never drive that car. I said, God, I can't do this. Pastor Ron, it feels like somebody reaches in and pulls your heart out and squeezes it. It's hard as they can squeeze every time you do it. And the Lord said to me, as thy day, so shall thy strength be. You're going to need more strength for this day, this week, this month, this year. But I'll give you the strength that you need. We called them in, told them the situation. And the daddy said, what do we do with the car? And the mama said, I don't care. Just get it out of my sight. That's all I ask. One set of parents we called in, and this lady has made such an impression on my life. Bill and Maddie Nichols, they also have an only child, a 17-year-old boy, Billy. He's a junior at Fort Knox High School. We call him in, Bill, Maddie, we're sorry. Our bus has been involved in a tragedy. Let me stop here, church, and tell you why I say a tragedy. It's not an accident when people drink and drive. It's a tragedy. Our bus has been involved in a tragedy, and Billy went home to be with the Lord. The father absolutely went all to pieces. But the mother laid her hand over on her husband's shoulder, and here's what she said. Honey... The first thing we must do is praise God for 17 wonderful years. He let us have him 17 years. He could have taken him earlier. So we've got to praise God for that. She lifted both hands, tears rolling down her face, and began to praise God for 17 wonderful years. Got her from where she was seated, came around the desk where I was seated by my husband, hugged my neck, and here's what she said. Sister Tennyson, I rejoice with you that your son made it. But God's grace will be sufficient for us. Folks, it takes a walk with God to be able to do that. And I'm going to be transparent with you. I don't know whether I'm there yet or not. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm going to be transparent. I don't know whether I'm there yet or not. That very week, Bill and Maddie Nichols led 27 of Billy's friends to the Lord in their home. When they came to offer their condolences, Bill and Maddie led those young people to Jesus, brought them to the youth group, the same amount we lost on a church bus. They led to Jesus that week in their home. 
What am I saying to you today? Folks, I'm saying this. God's grace is still sufficient. Even though we don't understand, his grace is sufficient. My husband preached 16 funerals in 48 hours. First funeral he had was going to be Josh. Two o'clock on Thursday. Three hours before Josh's funeral, the doctor came to the parents of these two boys, Josh and Aaron, and said, we need to do surgery on Aaron this afternoon to save his life. He's going to die if we don't do surgery on him. And Becky, his mom, looked at me and said, Sister Tennyson, what must I do? I want to go to the funeral of my oldest son. But my younger son's begging me to stay here for surgery. What must I do? And I said, Becky, I can't tell you what to do. But Josh will not know the difference. And it may be the means of Aaron living or dying if his mom is there. She chose to stay with Aaron. He did live. The father went to Josh's funeral. My husband preached that funeral on Thursday. He preached 13 funerals on Friday. And he preached two funerals on Saturday. We started burial at 9 o'clock Saturday morning and put the last one in the ground at 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Folks, that's an emotional roller coaster. You may say, what happened to the man that hit the bus? Well, he got 16 years, served 9 years and 7 months. He's out now without any restrictions. But you know what we had to do? Forgive him. Those that hurt you cannot heal you. Only Jesus can heal you. And forgiveness does not release an individual of responsibility or accountability. We think if we forgive somebody, they're free. No, they're not. We are. We're the ones that's free. It's not them. They're still accountable, responsible for what they've done. They still have to account for it, for what they've done. But we had to forgive them. So forgiveness comes by saying, God, I release this person unto you. The God within me has to forgive. Lee Williams, the gentleman that lost his entire family, the the youth youth choir director, Joy Williams, had her two daughters on there, a 10-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old daughter. Lee Williams told me the worst day in his life was when he walked into a funeral home in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, Three white caskets. The funeral director said, Mr. Williams, from dental records, it was incineration, they could not be viewed. From dental records, this is your wife, this is your 10-year-old, and this is your 14-year-old. He said, I laid my body over three white caskets and cried out every tear ever had in my body that day. And he said, I had a difficult time forgiving the man that took my family. And said, I was struggling with it. And said, God said to me one day, son, are you going to let the same man rob you twice? He's robbed you of your family. You have no control over that. But he's going to rob you of your victory, of your salvation, and your peace. And you do have control over that. And he said, God... I refuse to let the same man rob me twice. I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to commit him unto you. And I'm going to let you do a work in me. We're the ones that's freed from forgiveness. When we forgive, it frees us up. 
He did that on December the 31st, 1988. He was in Tennessee visiting some friends. He came to the house uh, January the 1st, 1989, knocked on our door. When we opened the door, his first words were these, I'm alive again. Folks, there was a spring in his steps, a clap in his hands, a smile on his face, a praise from his lips, a joy in his eyes. Oh, he said, I'm alive again. What freedom forgiveness, amen? Those that hurt you cannot heal you. Only Jesus can heal you. And the only way he can heal you is for forgiving the person that hurts you. And that's what we have to do. God, we release that man to God. Some of our young people that was burned so badly went to see the man in prison and wanted him to know they had forgiven him for the hurt and the injuries that he had caused them. But folks, they're still responsible. Don't forget it for what they've done. Amen? I asked a question during that time. Jesus, where were you? You may say, well, you're not supposed to question God. Let me tell you something, church. We don't question God's authority. But we all have questions. How many ever had questions? Job said, if I knew where I'd find God, I'd come and complain. That's what he said. Some of us are not looking for God, but still complaining. Amen. No. (laughs) He said, I'd come and complain. We all have questions. And I said, Jesus, where were you? And he took me to Mark chapter 6. If you want to turn there, begin with the 45th verse. Mark chapter 6, begin with the 45th verse. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before into Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into the mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them about the fourth watch of the night. He cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Honey, ask God to anoint me, please. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. We thank you for the joy yes, of your God. salvation. This opportunity, Father, together, together, to have you to speak to our hearts again. Yes, God. Lord, we thank you today how much you love us. Oh, hallelujah. Your word that declared that you're not willing that any should perish. Yes. But that all should come to righteousness, to repentance. And I just pray right now, Lord, that fresh anointing upon your handmaiden, my wife. God, we recognize it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. Hallelujah. And you see God. every hurting heart in this auditorium today. God, you know, Lord, Father, the things that God are troubling our souls and our spirits. And the most important thing, God, is our relationship with you. Yes. And I pray there not be one person leave this auditorium without knowing they have been in the presence of God, that you have knocked upon their heart's door. Amen. And Lord, as they invite you to come in, you come in to live in them. 
and Lord God to direct them safely in their lives. And we thank you now, God, for lives being changed, people being healed, delivered. Amen. People being able, Lord, to cast every care at your feet as you request and let you, God, do a mighty work in their lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I said, Jesus, where were you? He said, I was at the same place I was when my disciples were going through their storm. Number one, I was praying for you. The word says he's ever interceding at the right hand of the Father in our behalf. Amen? He's ever interceding. Who would you rather have praying for you than Jesus? He knows the Father. Folks, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired that he might have you, that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that your faith fail not. Amen? Oh, he's praying for us today. God the Father answers our prayers. God the Son intercedes for us to the Father. But God the Holy Spirit prays through us. Amen? So the triune Godhead is involved in every area of our prayer life. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, he said, I'm praying for you. Number two, not only did he say I was praying for you, but he said I was watching you. Folks, it said he saw them. They were toiling. They were rowing. His eyes were ever upon them. I just mentioned Job a few minutes ago when he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find God. I go right hand, left hand, forward, backward. He's nowhere to be found. But Job goes on to say, But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he's tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Amen. He may not be able to see him, feel him, or touch him. But what he does know, God knows where he is. Shout now, church. My, my, my. He knows where he is. Isn't that wonderful? He knows where you are. He's watching you. Lee Williams, a man that lost his entire family on that burning church bus, God has given him a ministry to men and to families. March the 4th, 1990, he was to be in North Carolina to do a service. And he said, I looked at my calendar. And I thought, I don't want to go on the 4th. The 4th would have been his oldest daughter's 16th birthday. He said, I promised my oldest daughter when she got to be 16, it was going to take her out to lunch. It was going to be our day. He said, I wanted to go to Poplar Bluff, Missouri, take 16 red roses, lay them on a grave, wrap my arms around a coal monument, and cry my eyes out. That's what I wanted to do. He said, I tried to call the pastor to counsel an engagement. There was no answer. Saturday morning he was praying and he said, God, you know what I want to do, but what do you want me to do? And God said, I want you to wear 16 red roses that church where you're going. And he said, why, God? And God said two words to him, trust me. You know the reason we don't trust God any more than we do? We only trust people we know. We only know people we fellowship. He said, I got up from where I was praying Wired 16 red roses at the church where I was going. Pastor picked him up at the airport. Said, Lee, we received 16 red roses today. What are they for? He said, Pastor, I don't know. Just trust God and trust me is all I can tell you. Sunday morning, he was praying. And the Lord said, there's going to be a special young lady here today. And I want you to give her those 16 red roses. I'll let you know who she is. He said, I went into the youth Sunday school class. No one in there witnessed to my spirit. Walked into the worship service. Said to the youth pastor, if another young lady comes in here, tell me her name. He said, about the middle of the worship service, young lady walked down the aisle, sat on the front pew. 
And the Lord said to Lee, that's her. He said, I looked at youth pastor and said, what's her name? He said, her name is Missy. He said, when I got to minister, I said, folks, I'm going to be as transparent with you today as I know how to be. Today would have been my oldest daughter's 16th birthday. I promised her when she got to be 16, it was going to take her out to lunch, give her 16 red roses. It was going to be our day. I wanted to go to Poplar Bluff, Missouri, lay 16 red roses on a grave, wrap my arms around a coal monument and cry my eyes out. That's what I wanted to do. But the Lord told me to come here today. He told me to wear 16 red roses at this church. And a few minutes ago, he told me to give them to Missy. He said, come up here, honey. You're going to be my daughter today. I'm going to give you these roses. going to take you and the youth group out to lunch. Instead of putting my arms around her and hugged her, instead of rather hug flesh and bone than I would a cold monument. said, the whole church broke down weeping. After the service, Missy came up to him and said, Mr. Williams, you don't know me. And he didn't. She said, three years ago, my mother dropped me off on the streets of Jacksonville, Florida. Never returned from me. I don't know who my father is. I never met him. Four months ago, a lady evangelist from the Assemblies of God picked me up off the streets of Jacksonville, Florida, brought me to Teen Challenge here in North Carolina. I started attending this church and gave my heart to the Lord. Mr. Williams, I awaken today to the truth. Today is my 16th birthday. She said, I begin to weep. And I said, God, no one cares that I'm 16 today. No one but you even knows it. Every young lady would like to have 16 red roses for her birthday. God, if you're who they say you are, and if you love me like they say you do, when I go to church today, let someone give me 16 red roses. Mr. Williams, you've made the love of a heavenly father so real to me. I'm going to finish high school. I'm going to finish Bible school. I want to help other hurting young people like myself. We heard from Missy not too long ago. She finished high school. She finished Bible school. She's now a youth pastor in one one of our Assembly of God churches. What am I saying? The God that is watching us, amen, took the hurting heart of a man in the state of Kentucky, sent that hurting heart to the state of North Carolina to let a 16 year old girl know I am who they say that I am and I can do what they say that I can do I am still your God his office is manifold his goodness is limitless his word is enough his power is unchanging his grace is sufficient his mercy is everlasting all his promises are sure I wish I could describe him he's indescribable he's incomparable you can't get him off your hands you can't get him off your mind you can't outlive him and you can't live without him oh death couldn't handle him Herod couldn't kill him and the grace could not hold him. Hallelujah. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God that wants to make himself real unto you. Wow. Shout out, church. Hallelujah, God. He's God. What was he doing? His eyes were on a 16-year-old girl. He was watching her. Not only did he say, I was watching you praying for you. But he said, I'll come walking upon the circumstance that's about to defeat you. What was about to defeat the disciples? The winds and the waves. What did he come walking upon? The winds and the waves. You're right. Folks, he addressed their fears. He said, it is I, be not afraid. He addressed their faith. He did not rebuke them 
for not being able to steal the storm. He rebuked them for not having faith during the storm. Let me get to say this again. I want this in your spirit. He didn't rebuke them for not having faith to steal the storm. He rebuked them for not having faith during the storm. Don't read into God's silence his absence. He's still there. He was in the the back of a ship asleep one time. Sound asleep. How many knows he was still there even though he wasn't saying a word? He's still there. Amen. Get this in our spirit. So he said, I'll come walking upon the circumstance that's about to defeat you. I awakened very early on Tuesday morning, depressed, overwhelmed. I'm going to tell you something, church. I'm going to be as transparent with you as I can be. You have never seen so much grief in one place in all of your life. Fifty-eight families involved. I was overwhelmed. I said, God, if I don't hear from you today, I'm not going to make it. My husband had gone to Louisville, Kentucky. See, we had young people in six different hospitals. Thirteen of them that made it off were burned beyond recognition and lived. So he had gone to Louisville, Kentucky to visit the young people in the hospitals. I said, God, I've got to hear from you today. I went over to the church just to be at the church. The telephone company had installed eight new lines in the church to handle the calls. The uh, board member said to the ladies' department, you women have got to handle these phones eight hours a day. We received over a 1,000 calls a day in the church. Said, Pastor and Sister Tennyson cannot possibly talk to everyone that calls in. So you've got to handle the phones. Give them the messages at the end of the day. If you feel like it's important, go after one of them. About 10 o'clock Tuesday morning, one of the girls came to me and said, Sister Tennyson, President Reagan's on the phone. Wants to talk to Pastor Tennyson. He's not here. Could you talk to him? I said, I guess I could. (laughs) I ran to the phone. President Reagan said, Miss Tennyson, this is President Ronald Reagan. Nancy and I are praying for you today. We're thinking about you today. Then he said, if you need money or military, let me know. He said, I've got this number I'm going to give you. This number rings into the Oval Office. I'm the only one that answers this number, but I'm going to give it to you. Don't give it to anyone. I still have that number. How much is it worth to you? (laughs) He said, whatever it is you need, I don't want you going through chain of command. I want you to get a hold of me immediately, and I'll see that it's done. We talked a few minutes. I thanked him. He hung up. Two hours later, one of the ladies said to me, Sister Tennyson, Vice President George H.W. Bush is on the phone. Wants to talk to Pastor Tennyson. He's not here. Would you talk to him? I said, I will. The White House wouldn't leave me alone that day. Amen. (laughs) Ran to the phone. Vice President Bush said, Miss Tennyson, this is Vice President George Bush. Barbara and I are parents and grandparents. Our hearts bleed with yours today. We're praying for you. Vice President Bush broke down and began to sob. I don't know your political flavor. That's your business. But I appreciate anybody in that position that can still feel my pain. He sobbed and sobbed. When he was able to regain his composure, he apologized. And I said, Mr. Vice President, there's not any words you could have said that would have done me any better than what you just did. You felt my pain, and I felt that from you. We talked a few minutes. I thanked him. He hung up. Three o'clock that afternoon, I talked on three calls that day. 
Three o'clock that afternoon, one of the girls came to me and said, Sister Tennyson, Sister Alice Jane Schaefer Blythe is on the phone. She's my mentor. Love this woman. She's 96 years old. Walks a mile every day. I walk around four blocks every morning, push them back on the bed and lay back down. <laughs> a real walker. I love this woman. She's still preaching and teaching. She's 96. Did a retreat with her, flying from Nashville to Florida to do a retreat. Sitting there on the plane talking to her. Flight attendant came up to me and said, excuse me, what's the name of the lady you're talking to? I said, her name is Miss Blythe. Why? And she began to weep. And she said, ma'am, I'm away from God. I'm backslidden. Her presence convicts me. I'm sitting there too. (laughs) That's the kind of woman she is. Pastor Ron and Sister Kelly can testify. She's a true woman of God. She's been preaching 80 years. Started at 16. She's 96 years old. She's a woman of God. Love this woman. Before we got off that plane, Sister Blythe led that lady back to Jesus. They said, Sister Tennyson, Sister Blythe's on the phone. We know you want to talk to her. I said, I do. I ran to the phone. And when I said hello, she said, honey... I've been before the throne for you today. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords says, you're going to make it. Folks, I appreciated President Reagan, but he had limited power. And he couldn't promise me I was going to make it. I appreciated Vice President Bush, but he had limited power. And he couldn't promise me I was going to make it. But when she said, I've been before the one that has all power... And he says, you're going to make it. How many knows that's the most important call I talked on that day? Amen. The one that has all power. The one that has all power. And he said, you're going to make it. What happened? Folks, he came walking upon the circumstance that was about to defeat me. Number four, let's finish up. Then I said, then he said, not only was I praying for you, watching you, come walking upon the circumstance about to defeat you, but he said, I'll meet you at your point of need. Where'd they need him in the boat? Where'd he get in the boat? Folks, he'll be where we'll let him be. We, you know, life is never beyond God. There's not any situation out of control with God. Do you realize God has never had to call a special board meeting to decide how to deal with the plots of Satan? How many knows before Satan has a plot, God already has a plan? Isn't that wonderful? He said, I'll meet you at your point of need. Our church went through months of horrible depression. We could not worship. It was just horrible. My husband said to me, we cannot continue going this way. Dottie Pierman, the associate pastor's widow, lost her husband. She was 34 years old, had a 14-year-old daughter that was burned and lived. She was on the bus. Had a 12-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. Had to stay in the hospital many months before she could be back to church because she had to stay with that daughter. First Sunday she returned to church. She walked upon the platform to sing in the praise team. We began to sing that song, Hallelujah, Praise the Lamb. My heart sings his praise again. And Dottie said, God, I can't sing that song. I've got a, I'm a 34-year-old widow. 
No way to make a living. A daughter burnt beyond recognition and two other children to make a living for. Folks, God doesn't get upset with you when you don't understand. When ordinary methods will not avail themselves for God to let you know that he loves you, he will employ an extraordinary way. Remember when Elijah was running from one of the Baal sisters? Jezzy was her name. She was chasing him. And he said, God, I just want to die. And God said it's going to take more than a raven at Brook Cherith or a wood at Zarephath. I'm going to send an angel this time to let Elijah know how much I love him. You know what God said to Dottie? Would you offer me a sacrifice of praise? She said, I will because I'm God. That's why we praise him, church. Not because everything's going our way. It's because he's God. The psalmist said, know ye that the Lord is God. Amen? Because of his supremacy. That's why we praise him. When we got to that part that says, and my heart sings his praise again, she lifted her hand and began to sing. And when she did, the power of God hit her. She began to run across that platform as hard as she could go, waving both hands. And when she did... Folks, the church began to shout. They began to have a Jericho march. They did everything they could do and still be right. Amen. All over that auditorium. When they settled down at 1130, there was a glory cloud that we saw with a natural eye. 900 or more people saw it in that auditorium that Sunday morning. From one end to the other, halfway down was a glory cloud. Out of the cloud came a voice. And here's what the voice said. My children, not for a moment did I leave you. I've been here the whole time. I've walked every step of the way with you. I will bring you through to the other side. Victory is yours. Hold on, look unto me, and know that I am your God. And he said, today I chose to make my presence visible unto you to let you know that I am your God and I am with you. Folks, those precious people stood from 11.30 Sunday morning until 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon with hands raised, worshiping God under a glory cloud. No one moved. Folks, you'll never be the same when you hear the voice of Almighty God. Amen? Speaking to your heart and to your soul. What happened? Folks, he met us at our point of need. He's praying for us. He's watching us. He'll come walking upon the circumstances about to defeat you, and he'll meet you at your point of need. Very quickly, let's finish up. The last two other two things I learned. We have no promise of tomorrow. Sunday school class, you Sunday school class. Our Sunday school teacher came out the Sunday before the tragedy, was weeping. And I said, Wanda, what's wrong? She said, I was teaching on the rapture of the church this morning. One young man said, I don't believe it's going to happen. I've heard it all my life, and it's never happened. And I said, what'd you say to him? And I, she said, I said, he c- could come for you before next Sunday. Folks, that young man didn't make it off of a burning church bus, but he rededicated his life to the Lord on Wednesday. Our son led a young lady to the Lord standing in the bus aisle 30 minutes before the tragedy. He led a young lady to the Lord. I have no promise of tomorrow. Very quickly, third thing I learned, how to treat my family. We talk more hateful to the people we love the most. How many knows that? I'm going to condense this this morning. Pastor Ron accidentally bumps into me and says, Oh, excuse me, Sister Tennyson. And I smile and say, That's okay. No problem. My husband accidentally bumps into me and says, Oh, excuse me, honey. And I say, What's wrong with you? Are you totally blind? Can't you see where you're going anymore? You know what? I'm going to get down here for just a minute, Pastor Ron, and I'm going to see the whites of their eyes. Come on, brother. We're coming down. Thank you. We're going to see the whites of your eyes this morning as I talk to you. 
You can still see me. I'd rather you hear me than see me. Why is it that I can talk kinder to Pastor Ron than I can to the man I love the most? I love Pastor Ron. But I don't love him like I do Don Tennyson. And Sister Kelly's happy about that. (laughs) I wouldn't rob the cradle anyway, sweetheart. No disrespect. (laughs) And he doesn't have a nursing home ministry either. (laughs) Why can't I be just as kind to the man I love the most? One of our mothers, son on the bus... Sunday, uh, Friday afternoon, he came home from school excited about going on the trip. And she said, Sister Tennyson, I was upset with something that happened at work. Very upset with him. Told him all of his faults for 30 minutes. Told him what a bad boy he was. All of his faults. Said he cleaned his room, cried himself to sleep that night. Dad got up early the next morning, took him to meet the bus. I didn't get to tell him goodbye. She said, when I found out, he didn't make it off of a burning church bus. He said, she said, I went into his room that will be clean for the rest of my life. And on the mirror was taped a note. And here's what the note said. Dear Mom, I cleaned this room for one reason. Not because I wanted to go on the trip, but because I love you. And if I never make it back to this room, Mom, remember, I love you. Love your son. She said, Sister Tennyson, all I have is a yellow note. I, was never, I never said, I'm sorry. I never said, forgive me. And he went out into eternity that way. Folks, if the fruit of the Spirit doesn't work in our home, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Two months after tragedy, walked into the living room one morning, a pile of hay on the floor. I don't like hay on my floor. I don't keep house that way. Our son had always worked in the hay fields, making money for his missions trips, always. Every summer he worked in the hay fields, making money for missions trips. He said to me one day, Mom, it'll make a man out of you. I said, well, for sure I don't want to work out there. (laughs) Thank you, sweetheart. Appreciate it. Oh, goodness, I'm sorry. (laughs) Two months after the tragedy, walked into the living room. There was a pile of hay. He would clean his shoe out in the living room. I started to get upset. And the Lord said to me, two more minutes, and there'd never be another pile of hay. Reached down, picked the hay up, and kissed it. The Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit and said, Many a mother would trade your pile of hay this morning to have a son to love and hold on to. Mothers, hear me. Love your children. Be kind to them. Talk kindly to them and let them know how much you love them. Don't take your frustration out on them. They need to be disciplined. If they do, there's a proper way to do it. But don't do it because you're mad at something. How many believes I'm preaching the truth this morning? Fathers, you need to love your children. 
hug them, and tell them that you love them. You may say, well, I wasn't raised that way. I'm sorry if you wasn't, but God has the power to change you. My husband, as I told you earlier, is a twin. I was almost a twin, just missed it by one. (laughs) His father made it plain to him. I do not love you. I will never love you. I love your brother, but I don't love you. He would break hole handles over his head. My husband carries scars on his arms where he split him open with angle iron. He said as a little boy, he'd cry himself to sleep at night and say if my daddy would just hug me one time, if my daddy would just say that he loved me. Never did. When he told dad he was called to preach, his dad said that's stupid. There'll never be 10 people ever want to hear you preach. He said, listen to me, boy, you're stupid. Parents and grandparents, hear me today. If the ones that should love you the most is your parents and grandparents, if they don't think you amount to anything, then you feel like you're not. Are you hearing me this morning? Build them up. But my husband made this statement to God. God, I don't have to be like my dad. You have the power to change me. I'm not going to be like my dad. Others may choose the path for you to walk, church, but you still have the choice how you walk it. And he said, if I'm ever allowed to have a family, God, every day they're going to know that I love them. My, our, my husband always disciplined our son like this. Come over here, baby. I really need to whip you. <laughs> That's as excited as he ever got. Our son said the other day, Mom, I'm 38 years old. Our son is a professor at Azusa Pacific University in California. Teaches church history, theology, and Pentecost. He said, I'm 38 years old, and my dad has never raised his voice at me. That's true. My dad is my hero, he said. After God, I'm asking him to make me just like my dad. Folks, it wasn't because he had the example. But you know what he said? God, you have the power to change me. You may say, I was raised in a sad situation. You don't have to be that way. God has the power to change you. Amen? You let God change you. Fathers, love those children. Let them know how much you love them. Lee Williams said on a, a Tuesday before the tragedy on Saturday, his wife said, Lee, Robin, their 10-year-old, is playing softball. Said she's the worst softball player you ever met. She can't hit a, a basketball. Bad. She's found a glove ball and bat she wants at the department store. He said, how much is it? She said, I think it's $60 together. He said, I can't buy that for somebody who can't play softball. He said, all morning long in his spirit, your little girl really wants that glove ball and bat. And he said, at 11.30, I said to my secretary, don't make an appointment for me till after 1.30. I'm taking a two-hour lunch break. And said, I went by savings, took out $100. Went to the school, picked up my little girl, took her to the department store. Said, honey, show me the glove ball and bat you want. And said, I bought it for her. Then I said, sweetheart, when we get back to school, lunch will be over. Let's go to McDonald's. 
He said, Sister Tillerson, my little 10-year-old talked nonstop for 45 minutes. He said, I didn't know then. That was my last memory. Took her back to school and said, before she got out of the car, she leaned over, kissed me, and said, you've got to be the best daddy in all the world. He said, I could hardly see how to drive back to the post. I was weeping, crying so hard. After he found out that his family didn't make it off, he said, Sister Tennyson, I cannot go back to my house alone. Will you go back with me? I said, I will. We walked down the hallway of his home. The first bedroom we came to was that of his 10-year-old. On the bedpost hung a glove. In the glove was a softball. Across the bed laid a bat. And he looked at me. And he said, you can't buy that from me for a million dollars. A million dollars will not purchase that bat, ball, and glove. I don't know how about you this morning, but I'd rather have a bat, ball, and glove than a wooden yellow note. Memories. Two extremely sides of making memories. Let me finish up here. Young people, two siblings on the bus, a 15-year-old girl and a 13-year-old girl. The 15-year-old girl said to her 13-year-old sister, don't run around with me today, don't ride with me today, or ride back with me today. In fact, if I never see you again, it'll be too soon. Her last words. The 13-year-old didn't make it off. The 15-year-old did. My husband can verify. We have counseled a 15-year-old girl by the hour. She said, every time I close my eyes, I see the hurt look on my little sister's face. There's no way to change it. I hurt her so badly. Siblings, we can do that so easily. Smart off to each other so easily. But think about it. Would I want this to be my last words? This young lady is 36 years old now. Or 38, I guess she's, I guess she's the age of our son. 38 years old has two children of her own. The last time I saw her, she hugged my neck and said, every day, it's with me. Every day, Sister Tennyson, it's with me. I see the hurt look on my little sister's face. Church, hear me this morning. We have this moment to live. Yesterday's gone, and tomorrow may never come. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask a very important question this morning. Is there any that would lift a hand this morning and say, God forbid something happened to me as did those young people on that church bus. I don't know that I'd be ready to meet God. Can I see your hand? I want you to lift it high this morning. Thank you. Anyone else? Lift it high so we can see it. Thank you. Anywhere else? I don't, for sure, I don't know for sure I'd be ready to meet God, but I want to know before I leave today, can I see your hand? Folks are making a decision. Hallelujah. Young man that lifted your hand, if you don't mind to stand and come this morning, son, Pastor Ron will meet you down here at the altar. This is what it's all about. Son, would you come? Amen. You know who you are. Would you stand this morning, young man, if you don't mind? Would you stand?
come. Pastor Ron wants to meet you. Come on down. If we, comp- if we confess publicly Christ, thank you, son. Thank you. Souls are the bottom line, church. Amen. To the rest of you this morning, if you've got family in this place, grab them by the hand right now. Come on. If you got any family here, take them by the hand. You may say, well, we're not used to that. Well, today you're going to get used to it. This is going to be the day you're getting used to it. Because God's going to do a work in you today. Stand right now, holding the hand of your family. Come on. If you don't have family here, grab a friend by the hand. Grab a friend by the hand if you don't have any family. Hallelujah, Jesus. Find your family. If you want to move around and find them, find them. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me ask you this question this morning. If you want God to do a work in your life, in your home, in your attitude, and you want the fruit of the Spirit to work in your heart, and you appreciate the family He's given you, I want you to step out as close as you can get to the front this morning. Come on, holding hands. Come on. Hallelujah. Say, God, change me today. I don't want to be stirred. I want to be changed. (laughs) Ma'am, is that your husband? Huh? Cousin? You have a new cousin this morning, sweetheart. Folks, heaven rejoices over a soul. We have a new brother in the family of God today. Isn't that wonderful? She has a new cousin. Hallelujah. Let's give God a hand for that and then you take hands again. Heaven rejoice. Okay, now grab hands again. Don't forget what you're doing. Amen. Hallelujah. Grab them again. Pastor Ron, you got your mom and daddy up here. Isn't that wonderful? How blessed you are. I'd trade places with you to have a mom and dad. Blessed. We're going to pray over you this morning, and I want you to pray holding on to each other. And say, God, change my attitude today with my family. Change my attitude. Let me talk as sweetly to those that I love the most. Give me the patience I need and help me today. Help me. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for these precious people that stand before us. God, we ask you to work in their lives, work in their homes. And Father, change them today. God, let the fruit of the Spirit reign in their lives in a greater way than it ever has in their home. Father, we thank you for the families that are gathered here today. We thank you for the families that you have given each and every one of us. God, don't let us take for granted what you've given us, but let us appreciate it enough to love one another, to act as we should with one another, as though we do appreciate each other. God, we ask your hand to be on these precious families today. Watch over them and keep them in your care, God. 
Father, if they have children that's away from home that doesn't live with them this morning, we ask that they will call those children and say, just call to tell you how much I love you. That's all I wanted to tell you. I love you. You're mine. God, their children need to know how much we love them. We ask you today that we will walk, Father, in the beauty of holiness toward one another. That our families will know that we've been with Jesus. We commit them unto you today for you to do the work. And Father, if they're going through any hard situations today, let them know you're praying for them. You're watching them. You'll come walking if all the circumstances about to defeat them. And you will meet them at their point of need. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Families, hug one another this morning and say, I'm so glad God gave you to me. Do it. Come on. If it's your companion, you can kiss them. Make sure it's yours. service. I don't want you to forget that tonight at six o'clock, it's going to be a very special evening time of worship and Martha Tennyson will bring the word. So don't miss it. Again, that begins at six o'clock. I encourage you to be back and bring someone with you. Continue to have fellowship and God bless you. Check your mic out for me, please. Test one, two. Okay. I think I turned it off, dude, is what I did. Sorry. <laughs> 